taxes and the Ad Council. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible-reading, gun-toting, Air Force veteran, wife and mom, righteously American. Welcome, 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 welcome. Long time no hear from. I know you're probably thinking, where have you been? Well, there's been a ton going on and I'm so excited to be back and to be able to kind of go over everything that's happened over the past few days. In fact, we're going to have a rundown of everything. Um, We're going to start off with, well, we're going to have to start off with just really quickly Um, If you've not been on Facebook or checking out some of the coverage that we've had, we had a fantastic launch of Blacks for Trump, Black Voices for President Trump, Black Voices for Trump. The hashtag officially is Black Voices for Trump. And it was it was a mix of old home, you know, where you're you you show up and there's a whole bunch of family there that you didn't know was going to be there at a family reunion or you show up, you know, someplace that you haven't been in a while and there's a whole bunch of people that you literally haven't seen in years. It was kind of like that. It was also kind of, uh, it was cathartic because so many times I will be here in St. Louis and I'll see a gathering of individuals um, for, for whatever reason. And they're all getting together and I'll see a bunch of people that I know or people that I really would love to meet. And I see them and I think to myself, why am I not there? Why, why am I not in that mix with those people? And usually it's because family comes first and our kids have something going on. My husband has something going on. Something, some reason I have something going on. I can't be there. And that has been the case quite a bit over the past couple of years because we've had two kids graduate from high school and it has been a really busy time for us. And I can't complain. I've been overjoyed at some of the, not some, I've been overjoyed at all the different family um, events that have occurred over the past few, just I'd say maybe two and a half years. It's been an exciting time for our family. But that being said, you can't be in more than one place at a time. At least I can't. And that means that I've missed a bunch of different get togethers, black conservatives, Americans, conservatives, pro-lifers, you name it. I've not been there. So this, this day, Friday, I've been looking forward to it. So you're probably wondering, how did this happen? Well, first off, let me say, this had to have been something that was providential because I didn't go looking for it. I didn't say, you know, let me see who I know who can get me onto one of the coalitions for Trump because I, I could technically do, because I'm a woman, I could do women for Trump. I'm a veteran. I could do veterans for Trump. By the way, happy Veterans Day. If you're a thank a vet today. If you know anybody who's a vet, if you see someone who's a vet or someone in uniform, please thank them. Um, My husband and I are veterans. My dad's a veteran. My granddad was, my great-granddad. My husband has cousins who are veterans. Um, He is also a veteran. So I I just say to you, 
offer up a hug or a kind word or a pat on the shoulder to a veteran today and show them that you appreciate them. Um, and so could have done veterans for Trump, um, but I didn't go out looking for it. I got a phone call asking me if I was interested in participating in the coalition, the Blacks Coalition, which at the time it was not officially named and others had not been chosen or selected or, or had agreed to do it. And so I wasn't even aware of who all was on the coalition with me. That's why it was kind of like a family reunion, because when I showed up and there were people there that I knew that I was friends with, people that I was like, oh, my goodness, I, you know, I love you so much. And they're sitting there and they're like, are you on the coalition? I'm like, yeah, are you on the coalition? It, that's how it was. So when they called me, I said yes, obviously. And then the waiting went into effect. It was literally waiting game, waiting game, waiting game. We went from one launch date to another. And it wasn't the fault of the people who were running the coalition or trying to put things together. It was really getting the schedule together with the coalition and the campaign. And by the campaign, I mean President Trump. We had to have the ability to have him at the launch. In order to have him at the launch, we had to coordinate with his schedule. And when I say we, what I really mean is the people who were in charge of getting this thing together, the ones who pulled off the event, the planning of the event and the logistics of the event, which what it was so complicated. It was so complicated. Not only do you have to coordinate with the president when he comes into town, any place he goes into, but it's also the press corps and the Secret Service and anyone who's going to be in his presence or in his vicinity or in any of the areas that have been cleared by Secret Service have to be cleared themselves. So how do you get a thousand people? There were a few thousand people there. Only 400 made it into the room. How do you get that kind of a situation under control at the Georgia World Congress Center, which is a huge conference venue in the heart of Atlanta, um, in an area that, you know, has seen they have the Olympics in the same area, um, just all kinds of huge events. The NRA convention was there two years ago. That was the last time I was actually there in the Georgia World Congress Center. So logistically speaking, it was a difficult thing to pull off, but they did it. And it just so happens that after a couple of postponements, the date they landed on was November 8th, which just so happens to be the same date, you know, that the president won, <laughs> that he became president, that he won the presidency. So it was a very cathartic, beautiful kind of thing for him to launch the Blacks Coalition on that particular day. Uh, so it's kind of become one of those days where if you look online, especially on YouTube and Facebook and places like that, November 8th of every year, people will share the memes of the people on CNN melting down, the ugly faces on the people at ABC, everybody upset that President Trump had just been announced the winner of the presidential contest over Hillary Clinton. So it was beautiful. Um, after I accepted, then we kind of started working on getting clearances and things. I had to be cleared through the Secret Service. I, um, a, a lot of the, so everybody who's on the, the advisory board had to be cleared, but then they allowed guests to come. So those people had to be cleared. Um, and then they also had people who were invited to be there, not as a part of the advisory board, but for the actual launch. And so those people had to be cleared. And so I was told on, I actually think it was Tuesday of this week. It was about Monday or Tuesday of uh, last week, pardon me, last week that I would be needed in Atlanta. And the big deal for me was that we were supposed to be there Thursday evening for a meeting. So the advisory board met Thursday evening. 
But I wasn't there because if you follow me online, you know that I was with Candace Owens at the Vitae dinner here in St. Charles, Missouri. I was the MC and she was the keynote speaker. So first off, let's handle a few little bits of housekeeping. And we're going to do this throughout the show today. I met Candace Owens in person and her new husband. They've been married for two months. So they're marriage babies. I told her I was her marriage grandma. She was like, what? <laughs> and then I said, you know, because I've been married for 23 years. And then she laughed. Okay, so... All the things people say about Candace Owens, I didn't find any of it to be true. She was sweet. She was nice. She she was very um, kind of long-suffering with the VIP picture area where everybody wanted to take a picture with her, and she took as many pictures as people requested. Um, her husband was just, he was so kind, gentlemanly. He's a tall, handsome man. Um, he's They're both very young. I thought that they were just so cute together. The way people look when they're just freshly married and they're just so smitten with each other. And so their manners are so good. They're just so sweet. Um, I, I Her speech was phenomenal. And she's going to be speaking at uh, World Parliament, uh, the EU Parliament. She's going to be speaking in Great Britain at Oxford University. Um, so she's, she's really gone not just national United States-wise, but now internationally famous for her message for young black people to really carefully consider who they would vote for and so I just caution people uh, you know and this is this this goes for me as well when you hear people saying oh, I met her and she's this I met her and she's that um that may be what their experience was and you don't know what colors their view of how it went but go into it with your own you know no preconceived notions just I want to meet this person I want to see what they're like for myself that's how I took it I went in there smiling and happy to, to get a chance to meet her and shake her hand and to have the opportunity to um, hear her speak in person. She's a dynamic speaker. She made us laugh. She held our attention. She moved around the stage. She's very comfortable in her own skin. And dare I say, because I know it sometimes can be taken as an offense, but she's very, uh, her articulation of her ideas comes forward in a way that is so clear and easy to understand that it makes it a real joy to listen to her speak. So I was very, very I, I wasn't surprised, but I was very pleased to see that that CPAC speech that I love so much that she gave earlier this year, not in, not an, at all a one-off. She said she's spoken at 50 universities, 250 Fox News appearances in this year alone, and I, I think she's up to almost 100 speaking engagements, and we're not even at the end of the year. So that was a pleasure. So uh, that that recaps out of the way. I'm kind of checking things off my list because I had that, that uh, one person from – the audience here, the Stacey on the Right Show audience, actually reached out to me on Facebook, and he sat at the table that I had for the event and was able to hear her speak in person. And he brought a friend, someone who wasn't exactly a conservative, to hear these ideas. So he was sitting at the table with a bunch of my book club friends. Um, these these are like my real friend friends, and they were um, obviously they're dyed in the wool, rib rocked conservative chicks, and they were answering his questions and kindly setting him straight on some of the ideas that he was espousing at the table. So thanks to everyone who responded and wanted to go. Um, and really, it wasn't a lot of people, but it made for a really interesting and fun night. So then that evening, I went home, straight home, tried to get some sleep. And then that morning, I was up at 10 minutes to 3. And I was out the door at 4 a.m., my husband dropped me off at the airport. My flight was at 5.30. And I flew direct from here to Atlanta and then went straight from my gate to... with. So a friend of mine 
here locally in St. Louis, Zena Hackworth, was also among the people who were invited to attend the event. She's not on the advisory council, but she was invited to be one of the attendees. So we caught the same flight, although we didn't sit together. We went to whatever the Delta Sky Lounge is. Um, I don't even know what the official name of it is, but it's this fancy place uh, on one of the upper levels of the Atlanta airport where you can go in and get free breakfast. So we had oatmeal and eggs and Starbucks coffee, which I was just so grateful to get some coffee by that time of morning because I slept all the way there like an angry toddler, mind you. Plane was packed. It was horrific. Um, and so we had breakfast there. Then we went to the hotel, changed and freshened up, and then walked over to the Georgia World Congress Center where we spent hours waiting, taking pictures, singing, just enjoying ourselves until we were led out into a corridor and lined up for what they call um, clicks, snaps and clicks or something like that. In other words, you get to walk in and shake the president's hand. They snap a picture of you, the official White House photographer does, and then you walk out. And you can't get, your you, so your cell phone's not in that room with you. So you can't get a selfie with the president. You're not allowed to take your cell phone anywhere near him. So I've, I've had a couple of friends say, oh, you met the president, where are the pictures? I don't have one because the Secret Service guy heard the lady in front of me organizing the guy behind me to take her picture while she was in there with the president. And he said, that's why we asked you to put your cell phone on that table. You're not allowed to do that. Ma'am, please put your phone on the table. So, you know, after seeing her get told, you know, I didn't even try to set myself up with any cell phone picture. So I don't have a selfie with the president, but I did get to shake his hand. And I told him that I'd been chasing him all over America. And it was a pleasure to finally meet him. <laughs> and he laughed. <laughs> so what else? We saw him speak. That's my seventh time seeing him speak in person where I was literally, you know, I could like toss a cookie and it would land at his feet. Um, I, and it was phenomenal as usual. Um, I also met Lara Trump for the first time. As you guys know, if you've been listening, I had interviewed her husband, Eric, on the show a couple of times. Uh, I think once this year and once last year, something like that. Um, he's amazing. She was beautiful and tall and very, very thin and spelt like a model and so sweet, so nice. And um, just it was just an amazing 36 hours because I was back home the next morning. I took the 7 a.m. on Saturday. I had to fly to Denver and then I flew home to St. Louis. And I, I can tell you, I didn't actually expect to meet him because I've been so many times expecting to meet the president and then not getting a chance. And then this time I actually got a chance and I wasn't even wearing my cutest outfit. That's my regret of the whole thing. If you ask me, what was your regret that I did not dress up? went because I didn't actually think, you know, that I was going to meet him. Um, I, I'd been told there's a, we're planning something for you guys. We hope you're going to get to meet him, but I did not believe it because I just, you know, six times I'd, I'd already tried it. So that just goes to show you never give up. Don't give up. <laughs> and to my life set producer, Kayla, I'm not a jinx. I didn't jinx them. I showed up and we still got to meet president Trump. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She and I were laughing about that. We'll be back right after this. Stay there. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba. Over and over and over and over and over. 
then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Okay, man, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. Cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments, because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Show the world that you're tougher than tough. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm your host, Smokey Cole Bear. Filling in for Smokey, because after 75 years of... Only you can prevent wildfires. Turns out there's much more to say. Nearly 90% of wildfires are caused by us humans being careless, dumping our used barbecue coals willy-nilly. Guess the song was wrong. We did start the fire. That's why I respect Mother Nature and her trees, whether coniferous or new car scented. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, he's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. She wasn't even really sure where she was. That. It's important for you to talk to someone about it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back to the program. Yes, it's me. I am still um, kind of geeking out about the fact that I got to meet President Trump. It was one of those goal things for me. One of those, you know, I, I would like to meet the president. Um, but this is even better that it's happening in this way because I get to also help with um, the, the, the push for 2020. And I've been a huge, you know, staunch supporter of the president uh, ever since he won the nomination. And I... I'm not I don't feel that I'm a late uh, person to the to the party. I feel like I I did my due diligence. I had someone that I was supporting. I stuck with them. I was loyal. And then when it became clear that it was President Trump as the candidate, I listened to what he had to say and I came on board. And there were a lot of people who didn't um, 
they didn't really get to to support the president the first go around. A lot of people who were Republicans, but they didn't see it. They didn't think a person who wasn't a politician could do it. And they didn't vote for President Trump the first time. But now they're fully on board. And I'm not one of those people who feels like you can't have come on later and still be a staunch supporter. So there's going to be a, a bunch of other stuff that we're going to go over today. I do have some stories and I even toyed around with the idea of going an additional segment. So we'll see what happens if I can get through everything because we haven't had a show in a few days. So I want to make sure that, uh, yeah, I want to make sure we get to everything. Now let's first start off with, um, what, what exactly will the black voices for Trump coalition be up to? Like what, what are we hoping to do? Well, first off, it's about messaging to the black community. So if you're not a member of the black community and you might be thinking, well, wow, okay. Well, that's why it's called Black Voices for Trump. The black community in America has been locked in a dance with the Democrats that has been so unyielding. It's it's not, I say a dance, but is it a dance if you are brainwashed into doing it and then once you start doing it, you're told you can't sit down, you can't take a break, you can't even look at dancing with someone else? I don't know. Um, no, it's not a dance, to be, to be honest. And I'm not going to use slavery analogies because I, I understand why black Democrats are so loath to hear people describe themselves as being on a plantation, yada, yada, yada. But, eh, you know, yeah. Okay, so um, there is a, a huge push uh, that we are that we're looking at. And the, the obviously it's fundraising. It's volunteering. It's getting the voices the voices out there, um, and our coalition is formed up of Black business owners, healthcare professionals, law enforcement officers, educators, activists, and people of color, who have dedicated their lives to building stronger communities and a better country for future generations. Now, these trailblazers have made significant contributions to our nation, their communities, and exemplify the very best of America. Our goal as Black Voices for Trump is simply four more years. We want to see the president get an opportunity to complete his agenda to the American people. The promises that he's made, promises made, promises kept, we want to see those things fully realized through a second term of his presidency. Now, his achievements are constantly downplayed. So one of the things that we'll be doing is amplifying the message and talking to everyone that we can about the truth about his presidency, the truth about what he's doing for Americans, and the truth about the results that we've received as a consequence of that. We're actually looking to build a massive groundswell of support for the president that includes and is mainly primarily focused on black people, but also includes any other stakeholders, meaning voters, and any other groups that would come alongside us and just say, hey, you know, we're, we're down for this cause. We want to have a, a say in the messaging as well. We want to help amplify your message. So we're going to be doing that as well. Now, we want to create an opportunity for black people who believe in prosperity and freedom to participate in supporting the president's reelection. Within our communities, we will work to raise funds, train activists, register and engage voters, and encourage the electorate to be a part of this critical election. Now, there's more. There's so much more to what we plan to do. But as you just heard, the primary focus is getting the president reelected. And I'm excited about it. Now, on a personal note, I know people have, uh, you know, an email said, hey, you know, um, what do you think? is in store, you know, radio wise, everything else. Well, I'm still doing the podcast, obviously. Um, but 
with the 501c4 status of the old place, I wonder if I would have been able to accept going on this coalition if I was still employed there. I don't know. And I'm not going to call and ask. So um, I'm just taking this as a new direction and something that I'm going to have a lot of time and energy placed into that I'm going to put a lot of my time and energy into and make it a primary focus for my work. And in doing that, helpfully help get the president reelected. And, and no, helpfully, no, hopefully get the president reelected. We need him. We need him reelected. He's doing a fantastic job. And I am in for the like the duration. I'm ready to go. Uh, so I want to go over to the chat room really quickly before we head over to our topics for the day. And oh, yeah, Richard says it's more like a Stockholm syndrome relationship, more like generational strongholds. You know, the old I was born a Democrat and will die one. Or like I was born a Catholic and will die a Catholic. Uh, you know, OK, so he says, um, wow, I I have to say I agree that. It is kind of a generational thing. I have met people before who've told me that they never even considered being anything other than a Democrat because their parents were Democrats, their granddads was, you know, grandparents were Democrats, their great grandparents were Democrats, and they were raised with a portrait, not not just a picture, but a portrait in a frame, like he was a member of their family of John F. Kennedy on the wall at their house. And it had been there for as long as they knew. They thought that that guy was a member of their family until they grew up and learned about him in school and realized that he was the president of the United States. <laughs> and so they're like, Mom, why do we have a picture of JFK on our wall? And they're like, because we believe in JFK and we can't believe he was assassinated. He was the greatest president we ever had, blah, blah, blah. So it is a family thing. And, you know, and it's that way, regardless of race, I've met white people who are like that about being a Democrat, and I've met blacks who are like that about being a Democrat. But I've also seen a shift. Did you see that Tennessee Coates has now admitted that it is okay for blacks to consider voting for another party? That That's the guy who wrote that ridiculous book and has been opposed to everything having to do with Republicans for the long, as long as since he was a baby in, in uh, short pants. Also, Kanye West's album the Christian album remember I think it was last week or the week before whenever it came out I said that I wasn't against what um what Kanye West was doing with the Christian album and because it is an opportunity for people to learn about Jesus Christ or maybe come home to the church where they'd been away reasoning that God can use anybody in fact it's not that he can use anybody God uses anyone he so chooses. So it's not about whether or not you or I approve. It's about whether or not God said, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to touch Kanye West's heart so that he can make some music that glorifies me and bring people to myself because my people here in America and all over the world, really, there are people across the globe who pray for revival in America because our culture is the dominant culture on this planet. Our culture drives sin or drives um, good deeds in other nations. We don't, we don't have to travel there anymore to influ influence and impact the way people spend their free time, the things they watch, the, the clothes they wear, even the way they talk. Why do you think the prevalence of dropping the F-bomb has become so, it's just like normal. It's as normal as saying like was back in the 80s when there was a valley girl craze and everybody was like this, like that, like, like, like. Remember that? Dropping the F-bomb is like that now. Why do you think? Because Hollywood puts it in all of their movies. 56 instances of the F-bomb dropped in one one-hour program. Remember, 
A one-hour program is really 40 minutes. So 40 minutes, that means they were dropping the F-bomb more than one time a minute, you know, without the commercials. So, and that this is a uh, Billions, the program, television program Billions. And how do I know how many instances? Well, VidAngel. VidAngel will allow you to click on each of the different categories and you can see how many times they expose, you know, nudity, how many times certain profanities are used, how many times kissing scenes are done, how many instances of same sex activity are shown in a thing. You can select each one to be not shown to you. So when we select to remove all of the profanity, I get to see how many times per show they drop the F-bomb. One episode of Billions, they dropped the F-bomb 56 times in the 40 minutes of programming that was filtered for us by VidAngel. So we have a cultural impact. And because of that, Christians around the globe pray that we would have revival here. And how could we get revival in America? Well, we could get revival through any means that God deems so necessary. That's how. And we shouldn't turn our noses up at whatever the avenue by which he chooses to bring it to us. We've been praying for it. We ought to just open our arms, our hearts, and our minds and receive the revival if it's coming because that's a prayer that is his will that we're praying, which means it will be answered if we're not double-minded about it. So I was, you know, waiting a few days because I'd already said on the air that I was not opposed to him becoming a Christian. In fact, I rejoice right along with the rest of heaven if he is, but Then this weekend, you know, I didn't have time on Saturday. On Sunday, I was just trying to wind down a little bit. And I went upstairs and I was sitting on my bed and I just used my phone. I saw that Ali Alexander had some video of a choir in a circle around a conductor stand and Kanye West was there and they were singing what seemed to me like a traditional Christian song that I remember from my youth. So I clicked and I listened to the little snippet that was allowed on Instagram. And then I typed in uh, Jesus is King Kanye West onto my YouTube search engine and the entire service that they had on Sunday at some mega church in an old stadium. It's a black church and in uh, Los Angeles. So Kanye West is there with a microphone. His little kids are there. They're running around. And this huge choir is in a circle around this conductor stand and they are just moving and grooving and singing some amazing songs from when we were kids, first of all. And second of all, some new things. Now, Kanye West was doing some rapping along with it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people that loves the Christian rap so much. I know there are others that I respect that do love it and enjoy it and to each their own. I don't have to love it for it to be okay. But he was rapping and saying what sounded to me like Christian things. He was praising God, but rapping it. So then they start, they sang, how excellent is thy name, or the name of the song is excellent. Uh, They sang uh, Revelation 19. And by then I was just, I was almost up off the bed, like, you know, about to, I, I was like, what is happening right now? I feel like rejoicing and praising God. This man is doing some serious praise and worship right here. Um, And so I listened to, I didn't listen to the sermon. It was right in the middle, but I listened to all of the music and the video is two hours long. And let me tell you something. It was good. I didn't like every single song, but it was good. So whatever is going on with him, if he's praising God, come on now. So let's just let's just break this down so people can understand it cuz you might need to put this in your back pocket for the next time you're standing near the Keurig at work or whatever kind of coffee machine y'all use 
and someone starts talking about, well, Kanye West couldn't possibly be a Christian. The Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. It doesn't say let everything that has never sinned or let everything that um, is pleasing to Christians or let everyone who has never, ever been offensive or doesn't have a Hollywood style life. It just says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what it says. And so if Kanye West is going to obey God's word and praise the Lord, y'all better get up out of the way, get out of the way and let that music go forth and let people who hear it remember that's the music from my childhood. And why haven't I been in church since, you know, in 10 years or five years or since I left home, since I graduated, since I joined the military, whatever the case is, since I got a job, whatever, let them get back in the pew and begin to rekindle their relationship with Jesus Christ without our meddling in it. That's what I have to say about this. And I, I can't be more strident. I want those of us who are Bible-believing Christians to stop acting as if we know every which way God will go. We have the mind of Christ, yes, but we do not know everything that God is going to do. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. That's why he tells us not to worry because he'll take care of us. All we have to do is be obedient today. So don't be one of those people who is out there bad-talking this or tearing it down. Let those who this is the music that they enjoy Hear God's name, the name of Jesus Christ. They're literally saying Jesus's name and praising him. Let that go up. Let that praise and worship go up and go out and draw in those who are ready and willing to give themselves back to the Lord or come to Christ initially. We're talking about the most unchurched generation in the history of our country. And if it takes Kanye West to sing and praise and glorify the name of our father to get those people to hear the message that they're not hearing from me and they're certainly not hearing it from you if you're a complainer and a backbiter and somebody who's out there tearing this down, then so be it. Let God do what he's going to do without us tearing it up with our mouths. And I want you to take that and put it in your back pocket and the next time you hear somebody say, oh, Kanye West, just tell him, what do you have against him praising God? It's better than him singing about pornography. Come on. This is an improvement, and we ought to all be so, so happy about it. All right, so I did promise you topics, and here we go. Look look, look how the show is going. So we're going to talk when we get back about Mark Cuban ripping into Elizabeth Warren for being worth $12 million, but talking about taxing him because he's a billionaire. And Doug Ross over at the Journal is triggering everybody by talking about how everybody was poor before they became president, and now everybody's rich except Donald Trump. He was super rich, and now he's less super rich and he's only been in there for one term and he's looking for one more and so we'll talk about that and then I even have some other topics beyond that that I want to share with you and today in the show notes you'll also see the uh, stories that were about the Blacks for Trump launch we made the New York Times MSNBC of course Fox News covered it um, the, it was a really really excellent smattering of news now did they did they report correctly no uh, they talked about the protesters. They didn't talk about how the protesters were outnumbered. They talked about how few people there were in the room. 400 people. Show me where any of the Democrats have met with 400 black people or 1,000 or 2,500 black people and talked to them about anything other than race and the color of our skin and how we're victims. Oh, I'm sorry. That hasn't happened? Well, then Trump 2020. We'll be right back.
The average time a resume spends on an HR manager's desk is seven seconds, and most of them are tossed aside. Now imagine if one of those resumes belonged to Yasmin, who was living in a shelter, juggling three jobs. I had to be resilient. That's something that you can't teach. We rely so much on a resume, yet it could never tell the full story of someone who had to be independent and take initiative. And that's how I handle every project I get. Discover new ways to develop great talent at gradsoflife.org. Brought to you by Grads of Life and the Ad Committee. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Hi, it's Olivia Munn with my shelter pets, Frankie and Chance. Say hi, guys. <coughs> when I adopted them, I discovered that they both have incredible personalities. Chance's sole purpose in life is to love and to be loved. Frankie is a little bit of a scoundrel and always entertaining. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at theshelterpetproject.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council, the Humane Society of the United States, and Maddie's Fund. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is Mommy's jam then surely you'll check nhtsa.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. Welcome back. Welcome back to the program. Okay, so uh, just really quickly, I'm with you. There's there's a comment in the the chat room on Facebook saying I <laughs> thought I met President Trump on the campaign or at one of the events. Yeah, I've been to six events where he's been. Now, admittedly, one of them I had no, I, I really didn't think I would meet him there at Phyllis Schlafly's funeral, but I heard him speak there, and I was again. With I, literally a stone's throw away from him and did meet him. Um, he was whisked away directly after he spoke. Didn't meet him. Uh, some girlfriends of mine met him and went on Air Force One because they set up a huge Trump campaign center here with their own money and they raised their own cash and everything. And so they were being really treated nicely by the president because 
they did something that was above and beyond because Missouri went for him by almost 20 points last last time in the uh, general election. But no, I hadn't met him. And I felt like it was becoming a thing. And then last Friday. (laughs) It happened. It happened. So, all right, let's get to. um, So first of all, I want to cover this. This this was sent to me by one of our fantastic listeners. And this is one of the mechanisms that the Democrats are using to convince blacks and minorities that they have to vote for Democrats. They're not telling them as Democrats, our party will do this for you. As Democrats, we will um, we'll fix this problem in your community. We'll bring these empowerment zones that the president's talking about. We'll expand those. We'll do a better job of it than he's doing. Or they're not doing anything economically. No discussion is being had about anything they can do for people beyond make them afraid that somebody's going to put them back in chains. The website is rigthefilm.com. And it says rigged, the voter suppression playbook narrated by Jeffrey Wright. Now, to tell you what kind of a, a documentary this is, listen to the awards it's already run. One, you can stream it on Prime Video. You can host a screening. You can buy it on DVD and digital. It's an official selection of the Newburyport Documentary Film Festival, the Global Peace Film Festival, the Social Justice Film F- Festival, winner of the Juried Award for Documentary Feature at the Indigo Moon Film Festival, Louisville and International Festival of Film, Bronze Award, Spotlight Documentary Film Awards, and official selection of the Awareness Festival. These are all lefty festivals that feature stuff that can then be turned into campaign fodder. And that's what this is. What they're doing is they're showing people this. They want to convince unknowing voters that Republicans are out to disenfranchise them and take their vote away, when in reality, the Republican Party seeks to make sure that citizens can vote and no one else. So if you're not in the country as a citizen, if you're here as a green card holder, let's say, or you're here as an HBV visa worker, some kind of HB worker, you are welcome to be here and your employer invested in you and invited you here. But that doesn't give you the right to vote. You're, You're paying taxes on that American money you're making. You're welcome. You ought to be glad you get to pay taxes in our country. You're here using up all the services, so you might as well pay some tax. But this whole idea that you get to come here and you're not going to, you know, um, you're you're not going to pay taxes, but you're going to vote or you're going to pay taxes and you're going to vote. Come on, get on out of here with that garbage. Go to Mexico where you get arrested if you're in their country illegally. They actually throw you in jail. They don't have any sanctuary cities or sanctuary states. But then again, it's a narco state. So why would you want to go there? So. This film, Rig the Film, you can even watch it at home. It says, what is rigged? And then they have what's called character bios. So I'm going to share a little bit with this with you. When you hear people talking about this documentary, and you will, unless you don't have anyone in your life who's not a, a Republican, you're going to hear them talking about this. They have a North Carolina, quote unquote, purged voter. They have Kristen Clark, president and executive director of the Lawyers for Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, Mike Hires, who is a volunteer for the Voter Integrity Project, and he's an Air Force veteran, and he wants to, he, he actually orchestrates challenges of thousands of voter registrations, sending letters to people listed as inactive in the county voter records, people that he believed were either dead or had moved out of the country. Um, Jay DeLancey, the founder of the Voter Integrity Project, Mark McKinnon, former Republican strategist for President George Bush, William Fry, senior fellow of the Brookings Institution, Steve Bell, Dale Ho, Myrna Perez, 
Chris Jankowski, Jane Meyer, Chris Crom, Margaret Dixon, Gerald Herbert, Matt Engel, and, and on and on and on. So what I want you to do is to nicely just say to people who say, well, there's voter disenfranchisement going on, ask them why they believe that's true. And if they say they're watching a documentary, ask them why the documentary doesn't also cover voter fraud. If the documentary was truly about electoral integrity, it would cover disenfranchised voters, however many there may be, as well as covering the issue of people being disenfranchised by foreigners voting, because that's another form of disenfranchisement. So any documentary that doesn't cover both sides of that isn't truly worthy of any kind of recognition that this is received, and it's not something that we should be touting as a source of information that's fair and unbiased, nor do we as citizens have any requirement to acknowledge any so-called rights of people who are here illegally to vote or participate in our electoral systems or to participate in our society in any way. Now, I know that might seem harsh to some. Some people will say, well, Stacey, that's not only is that harsh, but the way you're talking about this is heartless. I'm not heartless. Our country's not heartless. We take care of everyone, not only the people around the globe, but the people right here in this country. Whether they're here lawfully or not, we take care of them. Which leads me to another show note. So I know people are reeling. I'm, I'm kind of reeling because I've missed being here. But tomorrow, I'm flying to Washington, D.C. to take part in the Bring Back Our Troops Forum at the Washington Press Club. I'm going to be speaking on a panel on Wednesday about bringing our troops back home from so many of these foreign entanglements. Now, as I stated last week, my position is not that we need to have a huge standing army here on our own soil. It's that our troops would be better served if they were in, well, working on things that would help our country fundamentally, like working on some of the problems that we have that are coming to us from South America. The issues that are going on in South America are much more integral to the way that we live on a daily basis than anything that's going on out in the Middle East. So I want to make perfectly clear that I'm going to be live streaming from there. So just like I was able to offer you an insight into what happened at the uh, Trump launch, I'll be doing more of that. And I got a backup battery because this, the president wasn't done speaking and my phone went dead because I'd actually been there before the president started speaking I'd already been there since, let's see, we left at 12 and we got there at 1230 and he started speaking at about 330-ish, 340. So I'd been there for three hours and my phone, I brought a charger with me, but I was in the big room the most of the time. So I didn't have access to any charging capability. And then by the time I did get a little bit of power, the line moved and we went and took our pictures and then we went back into inside the big room again. So I've ordered a... Um, a little, basically an external charger that's better than the one that I already have so that I won't run out of battery power. But at a conference, they always have cables running all over the table so that you can make sure that you can keep power. So you guys will be able to see what I'm up to in D.C. tomorrow and on Wednesday. And on Wednesday afternoon, I will be on Capitol Hill speaking with the senators and representatives from the state of Missouri about the ideas that we discussed at the conference and bringing our troops home. And so that will be the show, the coverage from that event on both days. That will be the program for those two days. And then 
Thursday, I'll be back with tons of content because I'm doing the Dave Glover Roundtable, the DGS Think Tank, and then I'll be doing our show, the, the regular Stacy on the Right Show. So that's the programming notes that we have. Now, for someone who never goes out of town, for me to be out of town two weeks in a row is kind of unheard of. And, you know, my family's not exactly excited about it, but they're very supportive. So that's what will be happening. Um, also, as a regular part of the program, which is something that we've discussed in the past, I've covered it, the reasons why black people should vote for Donald Trump. We will be doing that on a regular basis, and I'll be giving you fresh new information that you can take with you to evangelize wherever you are, using that information to just, it's its not an argument. It's, oh, I just heard you say that Elizabeth Warren wants to, you know, the, the Medicare thing. In fact, let's get to that right now. Elizabeth Warren is actually touting a wealth tax that she says will put um, money into the area where then we can use it to do Medicare for all. Now, not only do the numbers not add up, but Elizabeth Warren is actually duping Americans because out of all the presidential candidates, she's pretty much the smartest one up there. She has the education, but she also has the background in writing books about some of these subjects where if you read the books, you can tell this is this is not someone who lacks intelligence, but she's intentionally misdirecting people away from her own wealth so that she can basically make you focus on people like Mark Cuban because he's richer than she is. But let's admit that if you're worth $12 million in today's America, you're not the richest person in this joint, but you're richer than 95% of the rest of us. Not only that, but she made last taxable tax reporting year, she made 900000 So let's go over these numbers. Um, and Mark Cuban is the one calling her out on this. And you guys know he tweeted me one time. That's my claim to fame with Mark Cuban. One time he tweeted me. He tweeted me LOL because I was talking about how he has armed security, but he advocates for gun control. And he, and he tweeted me back LOL. <laughs> I guess he was like, yeah, I do. I have armed security. How about you? I don't have any, so I don't appreciate him trying to take our guns. So he's the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, as you know, Mark Cuban, and he's really annoyed with Warren's proposal of an ultra-millionaire tax, which levies a 2% tax on individuals with $50 million in assets or more. The percentage increases to 3% with those with $1 billion or more. What she actually expects people to do is to liquidate their assets to pay her tax on a yearly basis, which, as you know, would literally send the stock market into a, a, a tailspin. People would be losing money all over the world. Or rich people would have to take out loans and liquidate their stocks annually after taking out loans to pay the tax. Then they'd have to liquidate an appropriate amount of stock to pay off the loan or keep a rolling loan balance and include that in something that's a write-off, I guess, for their business now. I... I I don't even know how it would work. And it doesn't stop there. Like her proposal, it seems like something that she could just make happen. But Congress doesn't move like that. Look at how hard it's been for President Trump to do anything. Does she think she would just have a cakewalk and be able to implement all these policies on her own? So she recently unveiled her Medicare for All plan, which will cost America $52 trillion dollars. She also says billionaires would pitch in six cents on each dollar of net worth above one billion. And then she had a sarcastic calculator for billionaires, which she used to hit Michael Bloomberg directly because he recently announced that he's running for president, too. Now, Cuban believes that Warren is incessantly targeting the ultra wealthy to distract the general public from her own wealth. 
she and her husband, of course, have a net worth of $12 million. Now, he's pointing this out on Twitter. And the important thing about him pointing this out on Twitter is that he's publicly saying to her, look, you're rich too. You don't want people to focus on that. So you're basically saying, look, they're much richer than me. Let's tax the pants off of them to pay for some stuff, which this is never going to happen. He says Forbes says her net worth is north of 12 million and that's being rich, filthy rich. I'm sure it's richer than she ever imagined she would be. Good for her. She earned it. It puts her millions above the threshold for being part of the richest 1% by net worth in our country. So while he appeared to approve of the intentions behind her proposals, many of which would be funded by hiking taxes on the wealthy, Cuban says she has several fundamental issues in her plans, namely, how would Congress pass any of this legislation? Is it realistic to think that they would pass even one bit of it? He also says it's good for her to want to provide care for all, but she has several fundamental issues in her plans and that there's going to be kind of a reckoning, but that won't happen until after the election. So he's calling her out beforehand, which is perfectly like reasonable. And the reason that he's calling her out also is he wants to provide a frame of reference and he included a link to the timeline for the Affordable Care Act, which was brought about in a far less contentious time frame. So right now, everything is war. The president wants to bring troops home from around the globe and Democrats are opposing him on that. The same Democrats who said they didn't want us entangled in so many foreign wars. But because President Trump is the one saying bring them home, he's against it. And Elizabeth Warren thinks she's going to get something crazy done like Medicare for all and taxing everybody, including the rich. All right. God bless. <laughs>